So we're with our first guest, Nasty, who you've probably seen on the channel before, and we've got a new series called Eject Eject, where the guest uh, shares their story about an ejection story. So basically, can you tell us what happened in your F-14 incident? Yeah, sure, Mike, and it's great to be here again. I, I just enjoy uh, what you're posting online and all the aviation stuff. It makes me all excited. So I'm excited to talk to your audience about you know, one of those times in your career that you kind of remember the day. <laughs> and what's what's cool is um, in our briefing, you know, before we go flying every time, we talk about the fact that with a two-place airplane, we're going to say on the radio, eject, eject, eject. And, you know, and, and then we say, you know, and I'm going to race you to the handle. And so, you know, by the time you get done with that third word, you're out of the airplane. You know, that's, <laughs> that's the idea. And so it, there's a little bit of a, of a cliche with the title of your series. And so my ejection story, uh, and I have a tie from Martin Baker, you know, and the whole thing for, you know, riding at Martin Baker seat successfully. Uh, and, and I'll tell, I'll tell folks a joke and I, I share this in, in different places that if you're flying Pratt and Whitney, which are the engines on the F 14 a, you better be, you better be sitting on Martin Baker. And, <laughs> and so <laughs> the Martin Baker guys love that the Pratt and Whitney guys don't love that. Mm -hmm. Uh, but in the case of, of my ejection in August of 1987, the performance of the engines was was a key factor. And so so we were out August. I was a lieutenant instructor in VF-124, the F-14 rag. I had already had uh, over a thousand hours in the Tomcat. And I was now back after my first at sea tour uh, three years after learning how to fly the Tomcat. And I was teaching people how to fly the Tomcat in VF-124. So I was a pilot instructor and I was also a landing signal officer. And so I would take people to uh, to the ship, too. So this particular hop uh, we called a flip flop hop. And what we would do is and the reason it's called a flip flop is you'd go out on the on one flight uh, and you would demonstrate to student pilots before they got in the air combat maneuvering tactics phase how the Tomcat performs under high G and the edges of the envelope when you're trying to max perform the airplane. And then you would fly home, switch seats, pump the airplane back up and go back out, hence flip-flop. Oh, yeah. And then and then the instructor pilot would ride in the back seat with the student pilot in the front seat and coach the student pilot through the maneuvers. And and usually a fairly terrifying hop sitting in the back and you're flying the airplane to the edges of the envelope and and so you're back there and all you can do is narrate because because your listeners will remember there's there's no there's no controls in the back of the Tomcat but in this case I was the one that provided the entertainment because I was in the front seat flying when we when we did eject and so what we would do is go out and we demonstrate how to turn the Tomcat and so when you're when you're flying a, a tactical airplane to the edges of the envelope you learn to feel the cues of the airplane. You can hear uh, as the airplane sort of descends into high G, you can hear the airflow now coming by the cockpit a lot more than over the wings. And so you hear kind of this whoa, kind of like that. You can also feel some what we call tactical buffet. And so, and, the, and then the G. And so you want to max perform the airplane and the Tomcat six and a half positive Gs, about 30 degrees nose down, and you're pulling on the airplane at what's called corner airspeed which was about 320 knots, and you feel the buffeting in the airplane. So when it's right there, there's a little buzz right at the edge of that point. And so you're teaching the pilots to do things like that. That's a That was a big piece of the hop. The other big piece of the hop and the, and the foreshadowing into what happened was these three vertical recoveries. 
And so the Tomcat, a very long airplane, and it has some interesting coupling moments. So it was a hydraulic airplane. There's no computers in it. You put the stick in. It gives the hydraulic input to the flight controls, which were very big. So the airplane was, was, you'll remember, 64 feet long, and the tails on that were the size of an A4 wing. So the horizontal tail, so lots of big surface, uh, horizontal tails for for, uh, pitch and, and roll. And, of course, the vertical tails are very big. And so... So the airplane was big, and when it went out of control, it tended to be pretty violent because you were at the very end of that moment arm, that you know center of gravity, center of pressure. So you're out in front of that thing getting whipped around anytime the airplane went out of control. And so um, since it would do that and do, do some interesting post-stall gyrations, what we would do is train the student pilots what happens when the airplane is going straight up uh, or somewhere in nose high and, and loses controlled flight mm-hmm. and to just let it go, you know, like many, many, many airplanes, uh, you know, let it go and and let it do its post all gyrations before you do anything. And so there were three vertical recoveries. The first one was on your belly, about 20 degrees, about 70 degrees nose high. You let it go to zero airspeed and kind of just fall down like that. It's very mundane, very benign very much like a normal stall in any airplane. The nose break, AOA breaks, the nose falls through, and then you you accelerate, you know, once you get flying speed, fly the airplane again. The second one was on your back at 110 degrees, and it would kind of fall on its back a little slower because the engines were trying to push the airplane mm-hmm. and hang it up. But it, it didn't hang up like some other airplanes will, like the F-18 Hornet would hang up like that. The Tomcat won't hang up, but it kind of hangs and then falls out. Again, fairly benign, it might fall on its side. And so it's good. The one that got your attention all the time was the last one we did was straight up. Nope. So 90 degrees nose high now, and you, you get it as parked as high as you can. And then the, and the airplane starts to backslide. And because it's coming down this way, whichever direction it chooses, it's a good whip. And it generally is on your face and it pushes you up into the canopy and then it whips around and it bangs your head against the canopy. And it's like, okay, you know, and <laughs> just like a carnival rise, like, okay. Yeah. And you sit there. And you just don't touch anything. And in fact, what I would, uh, you know, what I would tell Rios when I was fighting, you know, when I, when Rios in the backseat, I would tell him to ask me to show me your hands, you know. So so anytime we went out of control, hey, show me your hands, and feet on the deck, Roger that. Here's my hand, not touching anything. And um, and so so you know, and it would be pretty violent. And once once it got itself under control, now you you could go flying. Okay, so. Me and a guy named Sam Richardson, his call sign Slammer, uh, student pilot, we're going to go out and do this hop uh, in August of 1987. Absolutely spectacular day, gorgeous day. Southern California, no no June gloom, no undercast. It was beautiful. And so we went out and took off and, and uh, you know, we went out and did this hop. And we did all of the, um, we did all the maneuvers and we're coming back. Um, and we're just about 70 miles to the southwest of San Clemente Island. So we're about 90 miles from Naval Air Station North Island and about 120 miles from Miramar. So we're about that far off the coast. Beautiful Pacific blue day. You can see the island 70 miles up up north there, and you know we're just in our own airspace out there. And so we had 6,000 pounds of gas left after completing all the maneuvers, demonstrating to Sam what we were doing. And I said, we had 6,600 pounds of gas Heading back to do, you know, put, you know, swap, swap seats. Is there anything else you want to see me demonstrate? He says, yeah, I want you to show me the vertical recovery again. In the brief, I had told Sam 
that in VF-51, my first squadron, I had used the vertical maneuver, and right as you're getting to zero, passing 100 knots, you actually shove the stick forward, and the airplane would translate like mm. that. And then as it starts to come down, you just you just grab a handful of stick, and the airplane would And so you could go up with not enough airspeed to go completely over top. By the way, I forgot to explain to everybody. These happen because you go up with not enough airspeed to do a full loop, mm. and the airplane hangs up. So typically in a Tomcat A, uh, you know, at the right airspeed, and we would teach them how to do loops. It's not just a loop, but an extension. You go up with about 300 knots, 320 knots as you could go up. Anything less than that, and you're probably going to hang the airplane somehow in the vertical. And, of course, you stop, and the bandit comes up, you know, behind you, and now you're dead because you run out of energy. And so you want to be able to do that loop. And so we would teach people to do that loop at the optimum place. But if they end up, you know, because they're looking over your shoulder, you're never looking – you're never looking at your instruments. You can glance in, look back out mm. um, with a HUD. And now with a helmet, with a joint helmet mounted queuing system, it's right in your face. So there's you don't have that same thing anymore. But in the Tomcat A with not not a lot of HUD, you know, you'd look down, you'd look real quick at the airspeed and go, yeah, I got. And then you're back and I'll do this for the camera. You're back over your shoulder fighting this way. And you, you got to feel those cues in your body to take the airplane up. Right. And so we would train them as that you take the airplane up. And if you go oh. Okay, now it's time. Hey, knock it off, knock it off. You know, ballistic flight, and then let everything go and recover, and then you go. Then you go fight. Well, I had told Slammer in the brief that when I learned to do this maneuver from my instructor three years before this time, he taught me that you can do this in the Tomcat, and I used it in VF fifty one. And I, he demonstrated to me, and I did it in my flip flop hop as a student in nineteen eighty four, early eighty four. I did this with success. And so I was telling the slammer, there is actually a tactical application of this to go like that. And he, and when we did the vertical maneuver in the first time, when I first demonstrated, I couldn't, I couldn't make it do that. I kept pushing the controls then I let it go. We flopped around and, and we, we left, you know? And so, all right, well, couldn't do it, but anyway, that's what you can do. You can practice. Mm-hmm. And he says, Hey, I want you to show me this, this thing again, where you, where you flip it on its belly. I went, oh, okay, lock your harness, up we go. So up we go in this this one here. So again, fateful question. Would you like to see anything else? Yes, I'd like you to do this. That's the maneuver we ejected out of. So so we go up, you know, straight. And this time I am absolutely perfectly bullseyed. And and so straight up, and the airspeed's coming off, you know, we're we're at full military power, not afterburner. And we started at 15,000 feet level, locked our harnesses, and we topped out at 26,000 feet. And so the airplane slows to a stop. Get a little bit of blue smoke in the cockpit because the the uh, uh, environmental control system, you know, has a little oil in it, and so the turbine will smoke a little oil. You get that in there, you can smell it. The environmental control system kind of slows down, so the the sound of air rushing slows down. And then the only way you can actually tell you're backsliding is the little yaw string on the front of the Tomcat, the little sixty nine oh, yes, cent yes, piece yes. of string. You know, just it's sitting there, and you can look up at the nose, looking at it, and it flips around, and now it's going backwards. And so I, I told Slammer, hey, y'all strings flip. So we're coming down backwards and we're just starting our backslide. And the airplane is perfectly, I mean, in fact, it's pivoting just a little bit with the torque of the engines and it's sliding straight back down. We're at full military power. Left engine stalls right next to my ear. And it's this huge bang and a yellow fireball. It just goes boom. Big yellow fireball goes right out past the canopy. It's like, oh, holy shit. You know, so, you know, that, that gets your attention. Oh, cool. And, I, and so... 
So now we're we're kind of just coming off like that big yellow fireball. Well, the procedure for engine stall is both throttles to idle. And so I pulled both throttles to idle. All of the aviator uh, people listening to this podcast and go, oh, wait a second. You're transitioning the throttles with no wind or no airflow over the right intake. Guess what? Boom! Right engine stalls. Big yellow fireball past the right side. And so, you know, the little, the little, uh, you know, comedian inside my body is like, ah, and then, ah, you know, like that. <laughs> and, and so now I got both throttles to idle and the, and the, uh, the stall tones in the, in the Tomcat were like, do, 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 with yellow lights flashing. So you get that, the master caution's going off. All of the red lights are lighting up and the cautions are, are lighting up, uh, with the, the loss of two engines. And so. Uh, you know, hydraulic pressure is coming off to its basic level, you know, and everything's the engines are over temping and the, the temperature is going up. So everything is like, what do you do here? I can't do anything because the airplane is still out of control. Mm. And so initially, OK, let go of everything. And now because we had slid straight back down and we've got this perfect rate coming on and then one engine at full power for just a little bit before the other engine stalled too. now we're coming off straight down on our back. Whoa. So it just goes boom and it is huge thing all the way back up into the vertical and commences this sort of weird sort of nose high to nose low on your back, sort of inverted, sort of to the left, you know, weird uh, gyration, right? And so logical brain says we're still in post-all gyration. Illogical brain says both engines are stalled. You need to get this airplane <laughs> under control so we don't have to eject. And so in a situation like this, um, two things happen. So first you fall to the level of your training and, um, and I'll explain that in a second. And second time completely expands and seconds seem like hours. And so as I scan my instruments, I should have been staring at them for a long time, like the turn needle. And I probably glanced and went somewhere else and, and it keyed me in my brain. The turn needle is pegged left when it was probably still going like this. Mm -hmm. Had I just sat there and stared at it, the turn needle probably would have been flipping back and forth. When I looked at it, it was left, which validated the fact that we were going left. And I started to convince myself that we were in a spin. Mm -hmm. Slammer in the back, when he feels us come off, he thinks we are starting to enter a flat spin. And so what you always want to do in a Tomcat is stay away from the regimes at which you enter a flat spin. Logical brain should have said you weren't in a regime to, to enter a flat spin Illogical brain says it feels like we're in a flashback, you know, so and then, the you know, the sense of urgency to recover the airplane takes over after about the third time the airplane comes down, it comes back up, it comes down, it comes back up because I'm losing altitude at a huge rate. Every time the airplane drops out of the vertical, the, the uh, altimeter goes and then it comes back up, slows down, still going down. So we are rocketing down through you know, 15,000 feet easily, 20,000, 15,000 going down sort of mandatory ejection altitude is 10,000 feet. And so I fell to the level of my training, the most recent training. And I was coincidentally the high altitude subject matter expert, high on attack subject matter expert, high AOA subject matter expert in the training squadron. And I would teach it. I was the instructor that taught that I'm in a high AOA situation. And so you would think, that I would be the one to go, oh, I You're know the exactly best mom for it. <laughs> to fly home, right? And uh, the last thing I looked at was a was a videotape test pilot demonstrating how to get out of the incipient pace of a flat spin 
very, very quickly stop the yaw rate by application of, of counter cross controls mm-hmm. immediately stick aft and do that. And so he showed this thing. And of course, it's, it's being conducted at, at like 45,000 feet because to get out of a flat spin, if you can't, takes a lot, a lot of altitude. So mm-hmm. there was a very compelling tape that I had just reviewed that showed that if you do this, this, this cross control thing, it stops the yaw rate. Then you let go. And now you're, now you're nose down mm-hmm. instead of, instead of building yaw rate. That's the last thing in my head. And so I see that I see the turn needle peg to the left and I go, we got an impending, you know, uh, flat spin here. I need to get out of this. This thing's not coming out. I need to get out of this so I can start the engines because altimeter has now gone through about 12,000 feet and we're going to get to eject altitude and I don't have this airplane under control. And if I, if I don't help it, (laughs) we're not going to get under control. Mm -hmm. And so nasty helps the airplane. And so I grabbed uh, full left and aft stick, so full into and aft, and full right rudder opposite what I thought was a left hand spin. Mm-hmm. And I was what was in my head was to break the yaw rate. So I jam that thing in, and the airplane just settles out. All the violence stops, and it it kind of enters this sort of shuddering spin kind of a phase. In retrospect, now. Looking back on it and knowing all that I know, what I did was I actually kept it into a left-hand spin. And your listeners are going to go, well, you idiot, nasty. You kept it. But your brain's the size of a pea. All the lights are going off. It's violent. So Sam is acting like a Rio in there. He's got himself in position. He's reading out altitude. But he's not asking me, what's your airspeed? What's your angle of attack? take a look and usually when you're flying with your Rio and you're in an out of control situation they will quiz you on what's going right. on and they will they will get you to look and then respond so it targets your attention um, and there's a lot of patience to be had in airplanes like this the first step in, a, in an F4 Phantom there's one right over your left shoulder there the first step in out of control is to wind the clock it's to just chill let the airplane do what it's doing. Well, I didn't do that. You know, it was time for me to recover the airplane so I could start at least one engine and, you know, take it around the horn, turn it off and turn it back on. Now, they've been over temping for quite a while. So even getting them to, to restart later would be would be a challenge. And so anyway, I'm putting controls in and we go down through 10,000 feet and Slammer says 10,000 feet. Have you got it? Which is the question for is it time to eject? And um, and I said, Nothing. Didn't even answer him. Oh, really? Nope. Didn't even answer him. So now we go down through 8,000 feet. So less than a turn later, we're now 2,000 feet lower, 2,000 feet below mandatory ejection altitude, which which is fairly concerning. And I don't have control of the airplane. He says, 8,000 feet, have you got it? And I and I just went, I, I don't have it, you know, in my head. And then, nope, eject, eject, eject. And so just like that. And so I, on the, as I said, the eject the third time, I reached up to pull the upper face curtain on a Tomcat. Now, on the Barton Baker seat of a Tomcat, there's an upper face curtain, two big yellow and black beaded handles up here over your helmet. And when you put your head back into the seat, you can you can do that. And when I was training in the Tomcat, I training for ejection in the Tomcat, I always wanted to reach for the upper handle because I wanted to get my body in that position gained by pulling down the face curtain here. The other face curtain is down between your legs, and it's a single loop and comes up. And I always had to work very hard 
to once I put my hands around that handle in the pararigger shot to then sit back, put my shoulders back, put my head up and without looking at that handle pull and you mm. and you pull like this. But I was always afraid I was going to get the wrong body, um, you know, body position in the newer airplanes. Now, there's there is not an upper handle. And so you have to train for that lower handle. But I was going to reach for the upper handle. So as I as I pull the, the upper ejection handle down and the loops are right here. Now I'm looking through the loops like this and I pull it down. I can see the canopy bow, the edge of the canopy, of course, right in front of me, and the canopy goes off. Now, in the Tomcat, the ejection sequence is 0.9 seconds, nine tenths of a second. Canopy goes, backseat goes, front seat goes. And you are under, both aircrew are under full shoots in nine tenths of a second. So this is less than a second. But as I'm looking through the handles, the canopy looks like it's eight feet away from me, and it goes boom like that with with this brown smoke as the as the uh the the explosive cords blow the canopy off i mean no kidding just like boom and then i pull the you know i watch it go off and then i pull the uh, the handle down and i'm and it's on my chest for accountable like time and i'm sitting there going is this going to work and then and then out 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 and out i go and my the small of my back hurt really bad I instantly think that when you have a lot of adrenaline and stuff, you're not, you don't hurt until later. And I know I hurt and I'm like, oh no, I broke my back all in the space of, you know, less than half a second. And then there's these three, there's these three like Polaroid shots, like bang, bang, bang. The first one is the side of the airplane going away to the left and it's big four, five, five is a side number. I see that snapshot. Then I see my feet with the boots, with the um, lanyards that pull your feet in from the from the chair uh, chair ejection seat so your, your toes don't hit the, the uh, instrument panel on the way out. So kind of like that. And then uh, and then a br- brilliant flash of orange, which is one of the panels of my chute opening and then bam. And now I'm in the now I'm in the chute. Wow. It is so quiet and it's beautiful outside and such a relief from being in. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And now I'm just floating down a parachute going. Wow. You know, and of course I said what any human being would say that first, you know, the first word out of your mouth is F bombs like, ah! you know, and, and you're kind of sitting there and, and I had the face curtain in my hand because I had pulled it and it, it goes with you and I dropped it. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I want that thing. And I'm watching it kind of fly down and, and stuff. So I was in a kind of a weird state of mind right then. Wow. And um, I look over at Sam and I and I see him. He's over there a couple hundred yards away. Uh and he looks like he's dead. He looks just like Goose out of the uh, out of the movie, just like him. And his head's hanging down, his arms are hanging down, and he's floating down in my sh- in his chute. And I go, "Oh man, I killed him." And it was kind of a passing thought. Kind of looked at him, and, and now I was like, "Oh man, you know." And then I look over again, and he he's looks just like somebody out of a you know a parachute movie. He's he's got his arms up, and he's looking good. He's in perfect body position. His raft is deployed below him. And he becomes like this example for me. So I look over at him and instantly the thought of him dead goes away, just drops out. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at him and go, oh, I need to like do my stuff too. Yeah, good idea. (laughs) So, so I, uh, first thing I do is, is I know I'm floating down, you know, and again, it's very quiet outside. Blue day, totally blue, you know, pick a descriptive word, azure day, navy blue day, it's gorgeous outside. Pacific's rolling a little bit, pretty smooth, you know, sunny outside and stuff. So it's it's pretty nice and so i'm floating down with with enough time to do things and so i go okay i need to inflate my life preserver 
And so I grab the beaded handles down by your waist and I pull those things and bang, this thing goes up like a rock. And I've got, I'm now, I can't see anything but my chute. <laughs> I have other things stuck up like this. And in the swimming pool, when we train, you, you get to, you get to release one of them with, uh, uh, with CO2 and the other one you have to blow up. And so because they're joined one CO2 cartridge, they're kind of sort of fills up some of them and then you got to blow the other one up and, and practice using the oral tube so it's not very hard it's it it does float but it's not that great oh no right. in the air oh they are <laughs> like rocks and i've got i have now got my my chin parked up here can't do anything so so i let go of my oxygen mask let go of the bayonet fitting to oxygen mask makes my helmet rotate off the back of my head i pull my chin down i go okay i can now I can see. Now I'm bareheaded, you know, just kind of, you know, floating down. The helmet's gone somewhere. I realize it, it's still connected to my, my uh, comm cord later on when I got in the water. But it's over there. And, uh, and, I, and now I go, okay, now I snap the waist lobes together. So now I'm in this, you know, Michelin man sort of a, okay, this thing's, this thing's going to float. All right, next thing I got to do, I let my raft go. And so, all right, I'm going to let my raft go. And so I reach around for the for the handle at the wrap go. And they teach you that in some seat pants in the back, some seat pants in the side, you never really practice this because there's no way to be anywhere to let the raft go when you're that high and the lanyard is fairly long. So I'd never experienced what it felt like to, you know, pull the handle off, but I pulled the handle right off and it was, Oh, now I got it in my hand. Well, did it work? I don't feel anything. I don't, I can't tell. I don't know what it looks like really. And so I become obsessed with knowing whether my raft is deployed. Right. And so I'm going, I need to get my raft because there's sharks down there, great whites, <laughs> yeah. they breed off of San Clemente. So that enters my head. So now I have sharks and I have to get in my raft and not have my little feet dangling down there in, in, my, uh, in my, my stuff, right? And so I become obsessed. I can't see the raft because I can't get around the lobes that are around my neck and around the waist, so I can't see it. <laughs> So, again, in my fairly shocked state here, I start yelling at Sam because I want Sam to tell me if my raft is out. And so because I don't have a helmet on, you know, I'm just screaming as loud as I can. I'm yelling, Sam, Sam. And in order to get him to tell me what I want to do is have a conversation with him. Is my raft out? Yes, it is, Nasty. You're fine. Okay, good. So that's what I'm trying to get, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I'm yelling at him. Well, he finally hears something and looks over at me. And he's about 100 yards away. We're, you know, we're floating down in our chutes. And, um, and so, so we just, I'm going to turn towards him so I can yell at him. Well, he decides to do the same thing as me. Well, both of us had let go of our four-line release, which in a conical parachute is a feature that you can you pull these little toggles on the back risers and you, and you pull them down. And they release four panels in the back of the chute, and it stops it stops oscillation. All right. You know, dumping air. It also gives you a little bit of forward motion, so you can kind of control yourself a little bit. It's not mm -hmm. like a wing. You're not yeah. doing all these kind of things. It just moves you forward. Well, it gives you a little forward motion about walking speed. So now <laughs> Sam and I are now going towards each other. Oh, no. <laughs> and it becomes very apparent that we're going to hit. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And we went by each other like he was right there. We went by each other. The canopies must have touched. And it was like hilarious. Like, whoa. We're not gonna, okay, we're not going to do that again. Yeah. I don't know. Can you imagine the, 
you know, the two aircrew die because they ejected, hit each other in the chutes. How they do that? Got tangled up and then fell to the fell to the water and both died. I mean, you know, yeah, the story would have been oh. amazingly funny. And so, all right, all right, we'll stay away. I look down. The next thing I do, so now everything's out. All right, I'm, I'm good. All right, now I got to worry about getting in the water. So, and by the way, this story is in my book. Uh, I forget which chapter it is, but learn how to lead to win. And so it describes all this stuff in there too. But it's fun to talk to you about it because it's a great story to tell. Great. So. So anyway, we we get down. Now I'm going to go into the water, right? And and so I'm looking, and as I as I look down, I see this big frothy area of water right below me, and I go, oh man, that's that's Bishop's Rock. That's a that's a reef, and um and we're gonna you know that thing right there is that, there's sharks on that reef. I need to get away from that reef, right? And so. So I look down there and I go, oh, I steer away from there. And I do. I get away from the, the frothy area pretty good. And my, you know, my feet touch the water. Boom. Let go of my let go of the coke fittings for the parachute. That goes down a bloop and then come back in the water. And, and again, it's, it's gorgeous. And there's my raft right in front of me on the lanyard. And so um, I pull I pull the lanyard in I pull the raft in. I have a little bit of a, you know, a kind of a fun time trying to figure out how to snap the raft to me, you know, I kind of find it. It's a, you know, when you flip it around on one side, it says attach here, take that. Oh, okay. And, and we had practiced sort of this stuff, some in the pool, but that's the level of training I didn't fall to, you know, I was like, I was in a, in a, uh, like a, a mode of discovery on a regular basis yeah. during this injection sequence. Right. <laughs> and so I get in water and you do this little gymnastic maneuver. You shove the back of the one man raft down and you flip over and sit on your butt okay. and so you flip it in and then turn and it's a lot of people can't do it you know so um and so i flip around again and there i start talking on my radio well it turns out that an e2 hawkeye coming back from an exercise a sporting an exercise that and sam and i actually jumped out in right in the middle of a naval exercise with six ships eight helicopters the e2 the e2 is flying sees us do our maneuver Hey, look, an air show, and then watches eject. Holy crap, an ejection, you know, so they become the on-scene commander. And so I hear this, you over the top, and an E-2 goes over. So I'm talking to the E-2. First report comes back from the E-2 to the beach that says that one guy's in fair condition uh, or good condition. That's me. I'm sitting up in my raft. I'm talking on a radio. The other guy's in fair condition because they see him laid out on his raft, on his belly. Well, Slammer didn't do the flip and get oh, up right. on his raft like that. He He's a surfer, so he's laying in his raft, and he's paddling like a surfer. <laughs> and he's going, nasty, oh, he's yelling at me. He's going, holy shit, that was awesome. Wow, that was so cool. His big grin on his face. He's all wet. He's swimming over like that. <laughs> like, you know, I, I started paddling towards him like, oh, sharks. I'll let them bite him, so I put my arms <laughs> in. I fed, feed yeah. in. I'll, I'll let them nibble on him, you know. And so, so he comes over. And we tie each other up kind of, kind of, you know, opposite like that in our rafts. And we connect to each other, you know, we're going up and down these swells. We get up on top of the swell and there's this huge freaking sea monster like right there. Hmm. Has a big nose, a fin, long back, another fin. And then we go down in the trough. I'm like, oh, oh, and look at that. We come back up in the trough again. Mike, it was the airplane. Oh, was it really? That frothy area of the water was when the airplane pancaked in. Because it was yeah. flat, boom, and the reserve buoyancy put it back on the surface. And so what I avoided was the splash from the airplane hitting the yeah. water. I didn't see it hit, but I just avoided the splash of it. Wow. And now, and it sat on there for a couple of minutes, and then it sank out of sight. And so that was the airplane that I saw without the canopy on it that looked like yeah. a fin and then a big, you know, dorsal wow. fin. Not only, 
or not until we got up did I see, oh, wait, that's a VF-124 tail. That's, <laughs> that's a Tomcat. That's a Tomcat. <laughs> and, um, and so then about, you know, five minutes later, two helicopters showed up. I mean, it was like that. And uh, one of them picked up Sam and one of them picked up me and we flew back to North Island and and uh, I must have peed for 30 minutes, you know, with all the <laughs> stuff. And um, and so two two postscripts for this for this thing. Uh, first of all, neither of us were injured. We kind of jumped out with no, you know, I had bruises. Actually, I have a pen bruise on my arm from the pen that was in my flight suit. Bruises on the back of my calves, you know, neck hurt a little bit, um, you know, from getting out. But pretty much, you know, able to walk around and go from there. Uh, so so we were good. Um uh, I knew Sam and his wife, Beth, for a long time before this. She wouldn't talk to me for a decade. She thought I tried to kill her husband. She wouldn't talk to me for a decade, hated me. And finally, about 10 years later, she gave me a big hug and said, I forgive you now, you know, for almost killing my husband. I mean, no kidding. (laughs) So, yeah. So, uh, so then post ejection in the Navy, they have three, they have three investigations. The first one is a safety investigation where they determine you know, what really happened here? So can we prevent this in the future? And the second mm-hmm. one is a legal investigation that, that determines, you, know, you read you read your rights. You know, did you do this on purpose? Is there anything we can charge you with? And the third one is the scariest one, which is to determine whether you can fly again. It's called a oh, Field yeah. Naval Aviator Evaluation Board, a FNAB. And that's the scariest one because these three senior aviators are determining whether you're allowed to fly that Tomcat again. And so uh, they're also all different from the rules of evidence. So the safety, inv- and they're all separate. And they have different people. So the safety investigation, I, I mean, I could have done this on purpose. I, you know, I could have, you know, ejected on purpose, done this on purpose. And, and I would tell I would tell the safety investigators, you know, yeah, I did it on purpose. And I go, OK, you did it on purpose. And, and so there's no safety problem here. Just don't do it on purpose kind of thing. Yeah, the yeah. legal investigation, oh, you did it on purpose. We're going to send you to jail. And then, the you know, the FNAB would say you did it on purpose. You're an idiot. You can't fly again. So they're all separate. But of course, you know, as an honorable man and, and everybody I know is like this, you tell the investigators all the same stuff, right? Because, yeah. you know, I was in the situation. This is what happened. This is what I saw. This is what I heard. This is why I reacted. It's the training I had. These are the problems I had, you know, and, and so everybody can kind of make the determination. I also was going to be honest with, with my actual um, actions. All three investigations cleared me. It was really funny. Um, There's a question of honor and integrity on, on the field Navy labor Field Naval Air Evaluation Board, the FNAB. One of the members came up to me and he said, uh, "Hey, nasty, thanks. You told us the truth." And I was looking at him like, "Well, of course I told you the truth." Mm-hmm. He goes, "Because Slammer didn't look at the wings, you could have told us that it was a spoiler stuck up, and you couldn't yeah. get out of control. Something, you know, that kept you out of control. Instead of saying what you did, and we would have completely exonerated you from this. Because they did find it was, even though the engine stalled, they found it to be pilot error because I put the controls in, mm-hmm. and." And there were other things they did. They took the vertical recovery out for a while because people were experiencing engine stalls, although no one had experienced a double engine stall without, you know, coming out of it. Um, and they took the training tape out of circulation because I told them what I had learned with that. So they, t- they did some things, but it was still pilot error, right? Mm-hmm. So it goes on your my record as pilot error. I had a year probation that I, you know, nothing else could happen, which is kind of weird. Okay, eject again, they send you home, you know? So, <laughs> so, uh, so I got done about five weeks later. And my first flight... I went out with uh, with a Rio and we took off out of Miramar, went east over the land, and I did a vertical recovery. It was really? the only maneuver to get that hot rock out of my gut. I said, okay, yeah, we're gonna cut on the cane moa, lock your harness up, we go. Oh my God, I was terrified. I sat there, <laughs> as soon as the airplane reached 100 knots, 
I did everything perfectly right. I put my hands right here. I put my feet on the deck and I just waited for the airplane to do everything it was gonna do. Thankfully, the engines didn't stall, neither of them. They stayed lit both times. And the airplane comes down, does its thing. We leveled out and we flew right home with an entire bag of gas. I said, we're not doing anything wow. else. I bet your heart was blown. <laughs> oh yeah, it was. It, it was the, the very uh, personification of getting back on the horse. And my, yeah, I was like, doo, 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 and, and nothing <laughs> happened. Boy, I was the happiest man alive. Flew back into there. Everything by the numbers. Usually I go into the brake fairly hot. Nope. This was a 325 knot brake. Broke, you know, just landed as nicely as I could. I just don't yeah. want to screw anything up on my first flight back from, from being grounded for five weeks and, uh, and taxied in. So, so yeah. And then, uh, and then the other postscript, I worked as hard as I could to be, and now, and now with that failure, I worked as hard as I could to be the, you know, the best instructor I could, and I actually got the 1988 Instructor of the Year Award nice. uh, for, you know, all post stuff. So, so the lesson is, you know, you recover from that failure, you put it in context, you get the hot rock out of your gut, you're not afraid to get back on a horse, and then, and then you work hard to, you know, reestablish. And so that's, that's kind of the whole story. I mean, what a brilliant story uh, there, Nasty. But uh, I have to ask you one question before we wrap up this uh, first episode of Eject Eject. Did you get uh, any memorabilia from the jet or did you keep your helmet from anything like that? Well, I had the helmet for a long time because what they do is they'll keep the they'll keep the shell. You can probably see one of them out there somewhere. They'll yeah. keep the shell and then rebuild your helmet. Right. Uh, uh, but I, I think... Maybe that VF1 helmet right up there might be might be a shell from that. But no, I didn't. And, and that's why, I, you know, letting go of the face curtain was was the first like, oh, no, because yeah. you know, <laughs> there it is. But yeah. um, no, it's just in my it's just in my logbook, Mike, is, uh, you know, one takeoff that didn't equal it, didn't have a landing to equal it. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, Nasty, thank you very much for coming on the, on the show again. But uh, where can we find you online and your book again, just to remind our viewers? Hey, thanks, Mike. The book's called Learn How to Lead to Win. Uh, 33 powerful stories of, of uh, you know, my flying in the U.S. Navy, driving ships, and then uh, and then leadership uh, lessons attached to it. It's on Amazon. Um, there is a lot of content on www.mikemanazer.com and a lot more leadership stuff and other great stories and images and things like that from, uh, from my career. Brilliant stuff. And we'll link all that in the description below for you guys. But uh, again, Nasty, thank you very much for sharing that story. Thanks, Mike. It's a fun one, and I'm glad to be here to share it with you. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers.